With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello. Hi, guys. Welcome to our third episode of season two. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. I don't want to mention the weather thing, but I, I'm I'm warm, <laughs> but it's okay. It's manageable. Yeah, it's it's all good. You know, I I got on a tube, so that was uh, a little gold star there. <laughs> First step of many. Baby steps. I was on the tube for six minutes, but you know, so <laughs> it's an improvement. You've just got to take it step by step. We'll get to a point where we'll do like an airplane simulation. Yeah, flight <laughs> <Like> simulator. <laughs> yeah, to make sure flight. that I'm okay. Just to make sure that you're, you know, okay, you are now ready for, you know, step 15 of living in a pandemic. Do you know what I mean? So. How do I put the oxygen mask on? Has it been sanitised? What if the cabin loses pressure? You know, got to think about <laughs> you, these got you really do at this point. So where are we this week? This week we're going to Cameroon and um, we're going to shout out our African Pride segment first. At the time of recording this, uh, the UK is celebrating what is known as VJ Day. And that is on the 15th of August 1945. And this was set to commemorate the Allies' victory over Japan in the Asia and the Pacific campaign. So, you know, what we do, we like to highlight African soldiers who are often forgotten in World War II commemorations. And yeah. um, in this uh, instance, we want to shout out Private Joseph Hammond from Ghana, who is now 95. And might I add, he does not look it. So we've actually put the, his video um, in the episode show notes. And there you'll see that Black does not crack. <sighs> I honestly cannot wait to look 20, 95. I was going to say 25. Why am I? <laughs> I cannot 95. wait. No, just because I know like it will be it will be like this, basically. Yeah, I will be slaying at 80, so just, I can't wait. I can't wait. So around 100,000 African soldiers fought in Burma as part of the Allied forces, and Private Hammond described scenes of ferocious fighting, um, and it was like a to-kill-or-to-be-killed situation. And amidst these treacherous conditions, you would have witnessed a fellow soldier die in front of you, and you'd have to cry quietly so that nobody sees. And interestingly, Japanese snipers, according to Hammond, didn't see uh, like black soldiers. So in other words, they actually didn't see colour. So there were early adopters there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't see colour. I don't, color, I don't see colour. <laughs> right, okay. Let's just completely ignore my identity or anything. Cool. But yeah, in the morning, six or seven white soldiers would have been killed by snipers, but not the black soldiers because the Japanese snipers actually <laughs> couldn't see them. <laughs> so um, because of this, the white soldiers actually bought black ointment to cover their faces and the killing stopped. So I'm not going to debate whether this is blackface or not. Okay, we're not here for that, but just thought it was a cool anecdote. Many African soldiers deserve more recognition for the great sacrifices they made and obviously they felt that they were not treated with enough respect and we we actually cover this in our season one finale on Ghana's independence battles so definitely check it out if you haven't already. Um, And of course this story is why we do what we do because it's still not commonly taught 
that African soldiers and various soldiers from the quote Commonwealth were there fighting World War II on behalf of the Allies. And if there was better education even amongst the British population, let alone the rest of Western civilization, just think of the difference if people actually you know those people that oh my granddad fought in World War Two. What did you do? It's like, yeah, we were actually fighting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were, we were that, I, I wanna be able to say that with confidence. Private Joseph Hammond has also been walking uh, two miles a day for a week in May, and he raised £28,000, the equivalent, uh, for frontline health workers and veterans to buy PPE for health workers and protect vulnerable veterans on the African continent after being inspired by Captain Tom, who, as he was walking, I'm not going to lie, I felt a bit nervous, but yeah captain tom moore shout out him yeah um so private hammond received a letter from prince harry commending him on his walk and he's also set to be honored by queen elizabeth not that he needs that validation but we just want to shout out private joseph hammond amazing amazing see i like this i'm I'm loving this segment because i'm literally like people that i would never have like yeah exactly Yes, so we're off to Cameroon. Where is Cameroon? (laughs) Cameroon is located at the junction of West and Central Africa, bordering Nigeria to the west and north, Chad to the northeast, Central African Republic to the east, and Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, and the Republic of the Congo to the south. It has a beautiful coastline. The country can be divided into northern, central, southern, and western geographic regions. Although not officially an ECOWAS member state, Cameroon has strong historical ties with West Africa, particularly the overlap with Nigeria. We're going to come to this section a little later on in this episode, as there is currently an attempted succession taking place in this region. Over 250 native languages are spoken in Cameroon, which has a population of 20 million people. Cameroon is often referred to as Africa in miniature as it has a lot of geological diversity. There are beaches, deserts, mountains, rainforests and savannas. So all the lovely stereotypical aspects are captured in one country. Doesn't mean that you can't see you can't see all the rest of them, but you know, there's yeah. <laughs> Shout out Beyonce for uh, <laughs> amalgamating us. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's also well known for its music styles. Mikosa is a style of music popularized by Manu Bango, who recently passed away. His song Soul Makosa contains a refrain, Mama Say Mama Sa Mama Kosa, which most people recognize in Western pop music, notably in that Michael Jackson song. You know, I'm not a mu- I'm not a singer, but you know, I've I've done my best. You know, you know what it is. You know what it is. Yeah, and as you know, I love a football reference, and um, I'm actually dropping another fact around Cameroon's national football team, and they were the first African team to reach the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 1990, unfortunately losing to England in extra time. Quarterfinals, nice. It's all good. Let's take a look at Cameroon's early history, and the first Bantu people emigrated to the area known as Northern Cameroon uh, today between 100 to 200 BC. This ethnic group were mostly farmers and they used the land for agriculture. The African Pygmy people retreated deeper into the forests as a result of the Bantu people's arrival. The country's name originates from the name given to the region by Portuguese explorers in the 15th and 16th centuries, Rio de Camaroes, meaning river of prawns, to describe the Wari River estuary. By 1520, the Portuguese had set up sugar plantations and began trading slaves and ivory in Cameroon. They just can't help themselves, really. (coughs) The Dutch took over the transatlantic slave trade from the Portuguese in the 1600s so yeah they were also involved. European interference sorry influence 
<laughs> Are you alright there? Are you alright? <laughs> the shade, I'm sorry, this tea that I'm sipping is, <laughs> is re- incredibly <laughs> strong. Mm-hmm. European influence continued after the abolition of the slave trade. As humans were no longer being trafficked from coastal regions, Europeans began to move further into the country as trade focus shifted to natural resources such as palm oil, ivory and gold. The native chiefs in Douala, located in present-day southwest Cameroon, began to lose their influence. Despite being present in Nigeria and eastern Africa, the British were reluctant to make Cameroon a British protectorate and, um, as we say earlier, a protectorate is a country that is controlled by a parent state. I mean, obviously we were surprised as well, because why would you know, Britain, the colonizer heavyweight, be reluctant. I know, look at them, just being a bit shy. Why are they feeling a bit shy? (laughs) You're feeling a bit shy, mate. (laughs) What's going on, hun? You okay? You okay? (laughs) Some reasons for this were political, as the British Foreign Office favoured annexation, whilst the British Colonial Office were against this. Another main reason was resources, so bear in mind that Britain had already annexed Sierra Leone, the Gold Coast, and Nigeria. Britain believed that Cameroon was lacking in resources and that annexing it would be an unnecessary financial burden to British taxpayers. But obviously, I mean, I can think of a lot of things that are an unnecessary burden to taxpayers, such as paying off a loan used to reimburse slave owners. But I mean, you know. Yeah, that is crazy. When I found out that fact that my, not my specific, but just like... It really is ours. I think I've probably got my first job around there. You know what I mean? It's the... It's disrespectful, I'm sorry. It's so disrespectful. It's quite mad. Britain then entered the race for Cameroon's annexation, as in 1884, they discovered a plot by Germany to take over. Reports from Consul Hewitt influenced the British, as it was revealed that Cameroonian soil was suitable for plantations and that English traders would bear the cost of administration. They also discovered that the area around Mount Cameroon had a climate suitable for European settlement. Ultimately, the British were convinced that failure to annex Cameroon would lead to disgrace in Britain. After all, they, you know, they've got a colonial superpower reputation to upkeep. Mm-hmm. If France or Germany reached there first, they could potentially lose their colonial heavyweight belt. On July 12th, 1884, a treaty was signed with the Chiefs of Dula on behalf of German Emperor Kaiser Wilhelm. In return for trade advantages, Cameroon, as it was spelt, K. A-M-E-R-U-N became a German protectorate. We already know that the Europeans got together in their colonizer bonfire where they carved up the African continent without considering differences in culture and languages. Under German rule, railways, roads, schools and hospitals were constructed using the forced labour of Cameroonians. In 1914, Chief Rudolf Douala Manga Bell and military officer Martin Paul Samba were the first two nationalists to be executed for resisting German rule. Manga Bell was a Douala king and resistance leader. In 1910, the German Reichstag planned to move the river in the Douala to move inland to allow riverside settlements that would be solely European. Manga Bell and other chiefs pressured the German colonial administration through letters petitions and legal arguments but these all fell on deaf ears. He even turned to other European governments for aid and he sent representatives to the leaders of other Cameroonian people to suggest overthrowing the German regime. He was reported to German authorities by Sultan Ibrahim Njoya of the Bamun people who were another ethnic group in Cameroon and Mangabel was arrested and hung for high treason. His actions made him a martyr in Cameroonian eyes. I mean wow. Divide and conquer tactic obviously working here because this is your countrymen. Yeah and you're just thought, I think it goes back to that point of like you know did they see themselves as being part of the same country mm. because it's been like 
passed around like past the parcel do you know what i mean like it's yeah being treated like a commodity exactly why wouldn't i snitch yeah so then you know if you don't have that attachment or um just love for the place you know you were brought up you know do you do you actually yeah, yeah do you care it makes it kind of easier yeah exactly it just shows like the whole divide and conquer you know it, the reason it was so successful is because it worked um and it's quite yeah. easy to point out incidents where this tactic worked in many african countries martin paul samba had secretly contacted british and french forces to secure arms while plotting an uprising against the germans However, his letters were intercepted, so unfortunately there was no end-to-end encryption. Ugh, look at that. This... Where's, where's Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> Where is Mark it? when you need him, eh? Yeah, do you know what I mean? The only time you need him to be looking at your data and sorting <laughs> it out, he's, he's not there, he's not there. Where were you in the 1900s? Where are the targeted ads? Mm-hmm. This led to German forces arresting Samba and he was charged with high treason. Today, many Cameroonian historians view him as one of Cameroon's earliest heroes and nationalists. Now we'll look at kind of the British and French Cameroon. So during the First World War, France and Britain were allies in the fight against Germany. The two coloniser heavyweights, France and Britain, joined together to attack and seize German Cameroon. By 1916, the British and French now controlled Cameroon and Togo, which was, at the time, another German colony. The Treaty of Versailles, the peace treaty bringing World War I to an end, awarded France and Britain Cameroon as a punishment for the Germans who lost the war. The League of Nations, which is considered as the precursor to the United Nations, granted a mandate to France and Britain. A mandate is the legal term um, used to describe countries being transferred from the control of one country to another. As a consequence of World War I, Germany lost all African colonies they had at the time. So Germany just being like, you know, okay, you've lost the war, now it's, you know, France and Britain. Yeah. But also the lack of, I think it just shows the lack of respect for the people of that country cameroon with a k in the sense yeah. that they were speaking they must have been learning german at the time do you know what i mean yeah. and german had this whole set up and infrastructure and all of a sudden you're going to french and english exactly and it's like another question is like why why could they just be given independence instead why did they have to follow another european country's way but Chini, we've learned this already isn't it oh it's because they probably they need support from the thing to be educated, you know. Yeah. Oh, honestly, it's it's definitely probably that kind of story along those lines. You know, you can't just leave the Africans to themselves, guys. Yeah, you can't. No, they just they they wouldn't know what to do. It's just honestly. madness. The majority of the former German Cameroon was given to the French with over 167,000 square miles of territory. The British were given two smaller strips of land around Nigeria's eastern border. These regions were split in two areas, northern Cameroons and southern Cameroon, and they were collectively known as the British Cameroons. Essentially, there were the French Cameroon, um, spelled C-A-M-E-R-O-U-N, and the British Cameroons. Both colonists influenced their colonies with their French or English language and culture. And here we already see a divide with the Anglophones and the Francophones. This huge disparity in the land given to France later paved the way for inequality in later years as modern-day Cameroon has a majority Francophone population, with the English-speaking population consisting of a very small minority. Another aspect worth mentioning is that French Cameroon had a faster rate of economic and political development than the British Cameroons. After World War II, a wave of independence swept through the African continent. 
and we covered the reasons behind this in our episode on Ghana's independence battle, which you can catch up on. Little plug, Indeed, there, yeah. yeah. Plug, plug, plug away. Plug away, guys. Plug away. The United Nations encouraged France and Britain to guide their countries towards independence. From 1956, the French Cameroon people confronted their colonisers with an uprising backed by the Nationalist Party, the UPC, Union des Populations du Cameroun. Ah oui, par les Français. Oh. <laughs> Très bien. Très bien. 10 points pour Grande-Bretagne. Ah, je ne comprends pas. Oh, so, oh, that's probably... <laughs> you don't watch the Eurovision, do you? That's probably why. Oh, yay! I know what you mean. Oh, I get it, I get it. <laughs> Sorry. For those Eurovision fans listening. Their aim was to demand immediate independence. This uprising was suppressed by French troops and, again, very similar to Garda's story. Yeah, I mean, that's because the blueprint is the same, isn't it? Because they just... Do you know what I mean? Oh, sorry. Are you trying to up... Nah, sorry, I need I need to stay. I'm not needed, I'm not wanted, but <laughs> I want to stay. <laughs> We're going to discuss the independence of Cameroon and just what happened, really. The mess of independence and how it was split into various regions. Independence was granted to the area of French Cameroon in January 1960, and this became known as the Republic du Cameroon. Or Republic of Cameroon. Nigeria was scheduled for independence later that year and achieved independence in October of 1960. This raised the question of what to do with British Cameroons because, you know, what do we do with this? It's just just there. It's It's not a country, it's just something I own. (laughs) Imagine. You know how it is. There were three political options given to the British Cameroons in the British plebiscite of 1961. And although the term plebiscite sounds like a Tory insult, (laughs) it's essentially when there is a direct vote by the voting public on an important public question such as a change in the constitution. So a bit like a referendum. Mm. Sorry if that word is triggering to a lot of you. The question was to determine if Northern and Southern Cameroons should join the rest of the newly independent Republic of Cameroon, or if it should join neighbouring Nigeria. Notably, the option of forming an independent country was not there. The British argued that the Southern Cameroons was not economically strong enough to sustain itself and would only be viable if it joined Nigeria or the Republic of Cameroon. The United Nations would later reject Southern Cameroons' appeal to have independence as a sovereign nation put on the ballot. Some historians have argued that the decision by the UN and the UK to dispense of British Southern Cameroons was against the wishes of those living in that territory. I mean, it's like, okay, if they say Wales, you no longer exist, you can join Scotland or England, you know, or Sweden, you know, your your corona's looking a bit high, I don't think you should be a country anymore, now you've got to join Norway or Denmark. I mean, these things are just ridiculous to suggest within a European setting. Mm -hmm. And they had no regard for nigeria either no yeah know? nigeria like who are these people yeah, <laughs> like, damn and they some of them speak German. and you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you know what i mean you just it's literally this is what happens when you treat a country like a company because it's like if there's like some kind of merger you're like who are these people you know it's it's the same thing but it's like you don't really do that with countries it's just yeah the northern Cameroon's population shared cultural commonalities with the area of Nigeria they bordered as they spoke English and shared Islam as their predominant religion. So northern Nigeria, if you remember, um, we do have an episode on Nigeria as well. don't know if we plugged that or not, but we're just going to plug it now. Um, <laughs> <You're> like... <laughs> 
I've plugged it and I'm now going to tell you it's plugged. (laughs) (laughs) I have now inserted the plug. Um, But yes, remember that Nigeria is split between Islam and Christianity for context. However, the Christian majority, Southern Cameroons, voted in favour of joining Cameroon. So bear in mind the electorate voted on the basis of integration being promised as complete equality between the peoples of the former non-self-governing territory and those of the independent country with which it is integrated. The peoples of both territories should have equal status and rights of citizenship at all levels in the executive, legislative and judicial organs of government. That was a lie, in the words of Maureen. Yeah, and it's just... Again, just because they also spoke english in nigeria like does not mean yeah (sighs) yeah it doesn't they wanted to the the point was that they wanted to be their own nation but they were not allowed to yeah so they basically like okay you have these two options then pick the one you know yeah neither of which are the ones you want but hey (laughs) exactly which is the lesser of two evils here Mm -hmm. sounds familiar but uh (laughs) Now we're going to look at the Fumban Conference of July 17th to 21st, 1961. This conference was a bad beginning for Southern Cameroons. For all intents and purposes, the conference was meant to be an international meeting, but the French Cameroonians controlled the talks and micromanaged negotiations. In a paper by Fonkem Achankeng, an American-British Southern Cameroon, he argues that this conference was in fact a series of false negotiations. He went on to state that for one of the parties, the French side, the conference was an event where estranged brothers agreed on a mutual basis on a constitution for a reunified Cameroon. On the other hand, the other brother, British Southern Cameroons, the conference was an occasion where the newly independent République de Cameroon used their majority and their superior strength to impose their constitution on the British Southern Cameroons. This presents a conflicting idea of what the intentions of the negotiating was as the process didn't allow for an equal partnership for both parties, never mind the preservation of the cultural heritage and identity for both the Francophone and Anglophone regions of Cameroon. Essentially, the aims of this meeting turned out to be for a transitory phase to the total integration of the Anglophone region into a centralised unitary state. So, you know, they speak different languages. Yeah. And this created what is known as an Anglophone consciousness as it drew out feelings of marginalisation, exploitation and assimilation by the Francophone dominated state and to an extent by the Francophone population. On May 6, 1972, Amadou Ahidjo, the first president of Cameroon, announced his decision to convert the Federal Republic of Cameroon into a unitary state, provided the idea was supported by a referendum. This went against what was agreed in the Fumban document, which stated, any proposal for the revision of the present constitution, which impairs the unity and integrity of the federation, shall be inadmissible. This violation allowed for the passing of the referendum, turning the Federal Republic into the United Republic of Cameroon. Some have argued that such an action shows that the French-speaking Cameroonians' intentions may not have been to form a federal state, but rather to annex southern Cameroons and not treat them as equals. The following decades brought further erasures of southern Cameroons' legacy, as the United Republic of Cameroon changed name to La République de Cameroon, which was the name Francophone Cameroon went by before Federation talks. In 1996, changes to the constitution erased the reference to the existence of a territory called the British Southern Cameroons, which had a functioning self-government and recognised international boundaries. 
sounds like a hot mess to me. Damn. The constitution actually erased it. Yeah. We can just erase records now. You Do know. you know what I mean? Like, just rub out that bit of history. Yeah, I don't agree with the fact that France had their bit. Britain had their bit of one country. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still important to recognise the influence that they would have had. Similar to when we were talking about kind of like the early history of the country and Germans' influence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. They're all like being moulded completely differently. And that's why some historians argue that this problem, this Anglophone problem as some put it, should in fact be traced back to World War One. Um, and in a journal article titled The Development of Autonomous Tendencies in Anglophone Cameroon, we put this in the episode show notes, Nicodemus Asawam states that the unequal partition of the country between France and Britain following the defeat of Germany in West Africa in 1916, sowed the seeds of future problems as this accounted for the ultimate emergence in a reunified Cameroon of an Anglophone minority and a French majority. It's like you, you've kind of set up the country to fail in a sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It was quite a strange, it's weird how that decision, the ripple effect it's had on the nation's identity. Yeah, exactly. Or like the what the impact would be if you were to... Because it's like, if you'd split the country in half, I'm not saying obviously that they should have, but they would have just become two separate countries. Mm -hmm. But to have just give 80% to France and like a very small minority now are speaking another language, you can't can't reunify that back together. Yeah. But I guess there was never a thought that one day you'd be freeing... Yeah, you see what <laughs> they I mean? wanted to just stay you know, there forever. You're not, you're not going in there. For, I'm, I'm, I, th- I guess France and Britain weren't going in there thinking, oh, I'll have this for you know maybe thirty years, and then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have your freedom. Then I just want a bit of fun <laughs> and collect, you know, all your goods and minerals, and then yeah. I'll, no, I think I'll be yeah, off. you know what? Maybe, maybe they were actually there for the. They wanted to be there for the long haul. Can you imagine? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They were here to stay. They were there to stay. They really were. Yeah. Make, oh my making the most of that 20% of the country that they have and like, no, we're staying, <laughs> we're staying. This kind of brings us to the long-standing issue with separation in Cameroon and the state Ambazonia, which isn't actually recognised by the United Nations, um, and the Anglophone crisis, which is the current issue that Cameroon is facing right now. In the early 1990s, members of the English-speaking elite began protesting against the seemingly subordinate position of the Anglophones and lay claims for self-determination and autonomy. This is where it all begins to unravel. And in the journal that I just quoted earlier, The Development of Autonomous Tendencies in Anglophone Cameroon, Asawam writes, By steadily destroying the Anglophone state through multiple dubious mechanisms, Anglophones fell prey to Francophone colonisation, militarisation, marginalization and assimilation as a poet do you know what i mean they literally were like <laughs> <laughs> you did that deliberately you so did that but it brings you know it has oh no is, is it the power three it's not the power four is it oh yeah it's normally three it's a triplet oh, is it the rule of three yeah, yeah yeah listen to me the power of three bringing in maths oh my gosh <laughs> as you can tell the rule of three got it right in triplets neither of them were my strong point but <laughs> Yeah, just everything that the, the Anglophones were having to deal with. Do you know what I mean? And just having to... I would have just gone nuts. Because yeah. you've got a coloniser there. You know, you've gotten used to Britain. Actually, not used to. Let's not admit that everybody there was all you've been, you've been You've been indoctrinated yeah, you know I mean? to become British. You've been, you've been, and now you've been told that you're French. You're now French. <laughs> you've got to, like, focus on it. But the French, really... The Francophones don't really count you as French. You know, you're not an OG. Yeah. So... <laughs> You've got to kind of prove yourself a bit more because you've got to learn this language. Oh, no. This is... No, it's too much. It's all a bit of a headache. 
In September 2017, separatists in the Anglophone territories of southern Cameroon declared the independence of Ambazonia and began fighting against the Cameroon government. This was initially a low-scale insurgency, which then spread to most parts of the Anglophone region within a year. And according to United Nations, this conflict has killed approximately 3,000 people and has forced more than half a million people to flee their homes, mostly to neighbouring Nigeria. In the build-up to this, there were several growing forms of Anglophone discontent within Cameroon. There are several instances where the Anglophone part of Cameroon has been marginalised and for instance the national entrance exam in schools which develop future generations are set by the French subsystem of education. This makes it difficult for English speakers to compete on a level playing field with examinations in some professional schools in French only, even in some Anglophone regions. Imagine that! <laughs> this is your exam, it's in another language. I, huh? just be like... Oh. Okay, let me um attempt. Att- I, w- I wouldn't. You can't even say attempt. Let me get ready to <laughs> fail this. Let me emotionally yeah. prepare myself to fail this. Wow. Oh. State institutions also put documents and public notices in French with no English translation. So, can you imagine two meters apart? I mean, I, s- I suppose that's easy to tell. <laughs> yeah, that's like- say two. <laughs> Wow, of all of the examples you could have thought of, two meters apart. It's the only one in my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Someone's got pandemic on the mind. Um, <laughs> no, that one's it's quite easy. I'm sorry. If you can't see no, two that's meters easy. and two metres, then yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's no, an that's, easy that's one. Right. But, you know, the more complex things beyond two meters <laughs> apart, then yeah. Difficult territory. Oh. There are so many more instances where we see the prioritisation of French over English, from disproportionate magistrates in southern Cameroon regions being disproportionately French-speaking, to the majority of the heads of government speaking French. There are also francophone principals in anglophone schools, I suppose not vice versa, and hospitals, banks, mobile phone companies predominantly being francophone. And just thinking, right, the point you said around, you know, the anglophones, quite a lot of them then migrated over into Nigeria. I just Mm -hmm. wondered, okay, they had this choice in the referendum, either, you know, join or become Nigerians. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they regret that. They probably do. No, I'm just thinking, like, why did if you didn't have the third option you wanted which was being independent yeah why not go to nigeria yeah it's weird isn't it i don't know if i'm just saying that because i'd, I'd love to go to nigeria like i'm just saying yeah because you'll have the language there the religious element is there kind of from a cultural perspective potentially you could be much more aligned yeah it's a weird one really isn't it because i suppose I, don't, I think they went into that referendum with the impression that what was said in you know the promises that were given to them would be met Mm. so i don't think that they they wouldn't have anticipated that they would then be marginalized because the build up to referendum i mean it sounds shockingly familiar being told lies before a referendum Mm -hmm. but they would have been like fed all these things that oh no it's fine you can join us you know everyone will be you know i think that was what the problem was yeah you've kind of signed it and then you're not expecting that you know to go into hospital and actually not understanding what your doctor is saying to you (laughs) you know like God, yeah shocking <laughs> i'm sure that was not put in the referendum <laughs> but it's just that i guess what you mean i get what you mean like maybe yeah 
upon reflection now would yeah i don't even think that that's even like a good decision i think they should have gotten what they need like what exactly they, wanted. they should have but, i mean even after germany were told to go like leave them you know the fact that they couldn't even just form their own nation just i think that, that that's why the historians argue that the issue was really post-world war one yeah definitely a lot of separatist groups have had increased prominence as a result of this ongoing conflict their desire is to see southern Cameroons completely break away from La République de Cameroon and be known as Ambazonia. There are differing approaches with these groups, as some use diplomatic means as a way to gain independence, while others are using armed force. I guess Ambazonia kind of reminds you of um, when Nigeria and the Igbo people in the east tried the separatist movement and mm-hmm. temporarily formed Biafra, which was recognised by a few nations, but was ultimately unsuccessful. But yeah, these are, these are the problems that happen as a result, I think, a direct result of colonisation, really. You see that many nations in Africa can be a little bit fractured, and for what other reason? Yeah, and it's just trying to find a way to regain that sense of identity in terms mm-hmm. of really knowing who you are. And if this guess there are potential, like, you know, economic and um, implications and stuff of becoming kind of a country and you might not have the resources to be that or sustain that. But at the same time, putting my emotional hat on and everything that country has been through, the change of like, you've gone from Germany to France to Britain, like you've got all of this Mm -hmm. and then you're trying to carve out a piece of something to say like, this is who we are, this is what we represent and this is what our culture means and you're not, you're still unable to do that is yeah I, yeah it's it's a difficult um one when you look at it from that side as well yeah definitely where are we now in terms of cameroon so cameroonian parliamentary elections in 2020 brought further escalations of the crisis and cameroon sent out additional forces to counter separatist movements I should also add that Paul Bia, the current president of Cameroon, has held his position since November 1982. Wow. Mate. It would, it would not be one of our <laughs> episodes without someone just sitting. <laughs> I mean, we're not just saying just, oh, I'll, I'll do a term here, four years, four years. No, no, no. I am sitting. This is mine. This man, like, just love a despot, don't they? <laughs> yeah, Paul is the longest ruling non-royal leader in the world and the oldest head of state in the continent at 87 years old. So, Mate, wow. would you not want to retire at that age, though? Like, As much I love to do work, I would, like, 87. You were still working full-time at 87? No. I'm sorry, no. As the COVID-19 pandemic is spreading, an armed group declared a unilateral ceasefire in an effort to contain the virus. However, other groups and the Cameroonian government ignore calls to comply and have carried on fighting. As for negotiations, there have been a limited number of attempts. Switzerland mediated talks in 2019, but this eventually broke down and there have also been internal divisions with the Ambazonian camp, leading to further complications. However, as recently as July 2020, Cameroon has begun discrete negotiations with Ambazonian separatist leaders with the aim of obtaining a ceasefire in Anglophone regions. Sisiku Julius Tabe is an Ambazonian separatist leader who has demanded several conditions that need to be met before a peace dialogue with the government can take place. First one being a ceasefire to be publicly announced by President Paul Bia. The second being that the military should withdraw from the former British Cameroon regions. And finally, a general amnesty to be declared for all Ambazonian prisoners who shall all be released. Tabe has also specified that a peace dialogue with the Cameroonian government could only take place outside of Cameroonian territory. 
I don't know if he's looking for a holiday here, but also... (laughs) (laughs) We will see how this will progress. And yeah, only time we tell, because obviously at the moment, none of those, well, especially the being able to take place outside of Cameroon, I guess potentially cannot happen. (laughs) I doubt it, mate. (laughs) Yeah, that will push it to 2021, you know? Maybe by then we'll be pandemic free. It's one of those ones, really. It's just, again, it's like another deadlock situation, a bit like the Western Sahara episode we did last episode, isn't it? Nothing can Mm -hmm. really happen at this point. Both sides have their own truth, although, do you know what I mean? So you can't, it's just a difficult one. I don't even know why I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> it's not our job it's not our job it's not a job. it's our job to just tell you what's been happening and you know just go go away and have a little look at research i mean we you've got the episode show notes as well which give you a good pointer where we found all our information from yeah it's just deadlock like there's like you say what where do you really go from here exactly that is us covering Cameroon. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And uh, we will be Thanks, back guys. Uh, with our next episode covering Sudan. So, yeah, yeah. another interesting, um, yeah, historical moment that we'll be covering. Looking forward to sharing all of that with you guys. Definitely. And don't forget to review us on your podcast platform. Don't take a moment. And, um, yeah, just make sure you're following us on Instagram at It's a Continent Pod. And we're also on Twitter where we tweet intermittently. Um, on at it's a continent ready ready you're on it with like all the social I'm, I've got a plug you gotta you know you gotta do the thing you gotta, you gotta do it you gotta do it but yeah thank you so much for listening guys and that is us see ya yeah alright see you, you guys Cheers. bye